1: back.
2: How do you like formulate words while acting out like vomiting? <laughs> I, I, I'm just
3: like fi- like. Fi- are you asking me? Uh, like uh, how
2: you know how people can burp the al- alphabet? Yeah. How do you do that while like making retching noises?
3: I don't uh, know
2: it. Please <laughs> 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 stop the head. No, you can't. You can't do it.
3: It's very difficult. I yeah. mean, maybe you'll have to. We might. Maybe we can sign you up for a class once all this <laughs> is over.
2: Mm. I'm going to teach that class. <laughs> Welcome
3: to No Dogs in Space, everybody. That's great.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm Marcus Parks.
2: I'm Carolina Hidalgo. Uh, I had another one. I had another beginning to I th- this. Podcast that was just that was just for fun.
3: I know, but I thought it was fun enough to begin. So oh, okay. let's begin the show. All right, well, we'll <laughs> let's just
2: fucking start the show. <laughs>
3: and welcome to Dead Kennedys Part Three. So after the release of the Holiday in Cambodia single, which Miles Copeland's much maligned IRS records refused to distribute because of the band name, the Dead Kennedys finalized their deal with Cherry Red Records in the UK to lay down the tracks for their debut album.
2: Yeah, well, it's not exactly that, because IRS did distribute their album under a different name called Faulty Products, uh. because Jerry Moss, he's the co-founder of AM. he's the M for Moss, uh. he heard about them signing a deal with Dead Kennedys, and he's like, Dead Kennedys? The Kennedys are family friend of mine! Are you kidding me? <laughs> I worked on RFK's campaign! No way, no way, no how. Dead Kennedys are not going to go through A&M, so... Miles Copeland's like, okay, we'll call it Faulty. <laughs> so yeah, Cherry Red did release it first in the UK, then a few months later it was released in the US And Faulty Products, distributed a single, and, and later their, their LP.
3: Of course. Recorded at Mobius Music in San Francisco, Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables, the Dead Kennedys' debut album, ended up being arguably the best all-around album of the late 70s West Coast punk scene. And by playing faster than almost anyone, the Dead Kennedys helped to establish, along with a handful of other bands, the punk subgenre known as hardcore.
4: <laughs> The rag the bay, the me, the rag
5: Uh,
3: very screamers
2: yes well that's the thing the keyboard is for the screamers Paul Rosler he played on that track
3: oh shit I didn't know that yes
2: Paul on to do this. Uh, You're okay. like, all right, why don't why don't you play the, the, the keyboard? and, and also uh, Teresa Sol- Soder, uh, she was credited as a uh, Ninochka, which uh, was uh, Jello's uh, jello Biafra's fiance. They would soon marry in a graveyard on Halloween.
3: Oh, how adorable.
2: It's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> so so like what we said in the last episode, Bill Gilliam, he wanted to bring the dead Kennedys to England, but they needed to release a full album for a tour to make the whole trip worth it. So Bill called up Ian McNay. Who was a co-founder of Cherry Red Records and said, "Hey, the dead Kennedys want to get in bed with Cherry Red. Why? Maybe because no one else wants to sign them. But <laughs> that's not the point. That's not important right now."
3: Well, he he saw past the name and he saw and he
2: listened to the music. That's the thing. He listened to a California Uberella single and he was just like, "That's perfect." Plus, it sold out all its initial pressings in the UK, so this this made sense. So Ian said, "Sure," and Bill said, "Great." but we actually need $10,000 to record the album. And Ian was like, ah, (laughs) you see, I just quit my day job for this tiny little indie label Uh, called Cherry Red Records. Yeah. I mean, they're fairly new. I mean, they did pretty well with The Runaways, but they were still like very small time. Yeah. And... $10,000 Ten thousand dollars is well. It's still a lot of money, but it's, it was a lot of money.
3: Oh yeah, especially for somebody just because these a lot of these indie labels like it really was bankrolled by whatever the head you know whatever the head of the label whatever's fucking day job was like that's what bankrolled the yes, label exactly <laughs> <laughs> you know and they just they popped up and they went away like so fast. Uh, but Hey, I mean, he eventually figured it out though.
2: Well, he did. Cause he was just hanging out with his buddy, Richard from Caroline records, who was like a buyer who would export like records obviously. And he's just like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to come up with $10,000. And Richard's like, we'll give you the $10,000. Just let us export the, the record exclusively for three months and give us a good deal. Nice. And we'll give you the money right now.
3: Yeah. Cause Caroline, they'd also put out stuff with the misfits, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That was like in uh, the early nineties though. Right. But uh, so, yeah, the band, they were ecstatic. They're like, oh, we have $10,000, like in the Wayne's world. <laughs> we got $10,000. No, uh, it's it's 5000 uh, yeah. You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> they were super excited, and they're like, hey, why don't we record the whole album for about $6,000? And then we'll just keep the rest of the money ourselves. Because this will probably be the last time we'll see real money again. Yeah. Especially being in a punk band that no one else wants to sign. <laughs>
3: I mean, they had the songs the the songs were absolutely there, Uh, but they also but but, you know, that that's the funny thing is that, like, you know, you don't know history when you're living through it. You know, especially when it comes to music, you know, you don't know that you're in one of the most groundbreaking, breaking punk bands of all time when you're in one of the most groundbreaking punk bands of all time. You know,
2: that seems to be the case. <laughs> and especially with with someone like Klaus. Right. He, he'd been playing in bands for 10 years. And especially when you have that kind of experience and you've been doing this for so many years. You stop believing a little bit (laughs) as the years go by.
3: And there would already been a little bit of tension in the band. Like back during the the very first East Coast tour, uh, Jelly Biafra had actually said that he thought about quitting the band then because all the guys in the Dead Kennedys who used to be in bar bands were starting to act like they were in bar bands again. Uh, And he wasn't sure that was the life that he wanted to live, but when the California Uber Alice single did so well, uh, he said, okay, fine, I'll I'll stick around for a little longer. <laughs> Just a little bit. And it ended up you know, being a huge career. Uh, it ended up being an absolutely wonderful career move for him. Now, the studio in which the Dead Kennedys recorded their debut was in No Valley and was affectionately called the Shoebox because bands would set up in one central carpeted room with no isolation booths. Now, we'll get to the whole kerfuffle over production credits in a second, but the man who owned the studio and oversaw the recording process was Oliver DeChico, even though Jello had won a Cambodia producer, Gaza X, instead.
2: Yeah, he did, but ultimately they decided to do it themselves with uh, Oliver DeChico engineering the recording, and Oliver had, like, zero experience with recording a, a punk band. Yeah. Like, he did, like, new age stuff. Yeah. But luckily... Oliver was very amenable to the whole thing like and he figured all I have to do is just make them sound good on tape. Yeah. Right? That's like my only job. Perfect. <laughs> and since they pocketed the extra cash from uh, Cherry Red Records, they needed to maximize their time in the studio, which meant a lot of pre-production before they even walk into the studio. So they mapped out everything they wanted to do. They were, obviously they rehearsed the songs way beforehand and they were doing a lot of live shows anyways. They had plans and schedules for every little thing. They knew how lucky they were compared to some of the bands that they were friends with who never had a chance like this so they were just not gonna waste it
3: yeah everybody who had tried that at that point in the san francisco punk scene everybody had blown it
5: unfortunately
3: <laughs> everybody had fucked up in one way or another whether it was like infighting or out fighting you know spending so much time worried about like avengers worried about crime who were worried about the nuns and <laughs> that the dead kennedys were worried about the studio and that's all that mattered to them.
2: Yeah. So they took a whole month to record at night because Klaus had a day job, which I totally understandable. Yeah,
3: don't quit the day job.
2: And there's no <laughs> yes, no use in quitting until the album comes out. <laughs> and Jella was extra tough on doing it, not just under budget, but doing it well. Like yeah. he said, like I didn't even have a watch. For me, it was not that important. I need I needed to make sure everything was exactly right, and that's why there were so many fights between Jello and everyone else. Because they would always be like Jello, it's fine, it's okay, it's good enough. No, okay, we'll go. No, oh, fuck. Ah.
3: Well, Jello was a record collector. He was an obsessive record collector, and the way he put it was that, you know, these songs were going to be listened to forever. You know, like, that no matter what, you know, people were going to be listening to this 20, 30, 50 years later, and he wanted to make sure that they got the absolute best version of the song they ever played on the record. Jello was actually so obsessed with getting the absolute best version That his roommate, Mickey Creep, said that Jello would come home and listen to seemingly identical takes of each song over and over again in the process of choosing the right one.
2: Yes, with his eyes closed. (laughs) He'd be listening with his eyes closed, and he would obsess over his lyrics. That's what Oliver DeChico said when they were, like putting the songs together he'd be like oh can you take this line from this track and then put this line from this one because it's important that we switch them and we put them all together because I need the the lyrics to really ring something and Oliver DeChico was like they're all the same (laughs) (laughs) and he did say like Jello was a huge pain in the ass but you know what Oliver valued him as an artist and could tell like he was genuinely trying to get his vision of what he wanted on the album so you know he went along with it
3: yeah I mean yeah he was a dickhead but and that's kind of the thing about uh all jello biafra is that yeah he can be a dickhead sometimes but there's always a point you know there's always a real like he's got a reason why he's because mostly it's like he thinks that something should be exactly the way it should be uh and he's not going to take anything less and in this case he was fucking right like in the case of fresh fruit, he for was, vegetables, he yeah, was Actually, he was, he was right. very, very right
2: in this case. <laughs>
3: but this meticulousness would end up aggravating the rest of the band, because according to Ted, Ray, and Klaus, they would record a series of tracks, then have to sit there as Jello would demand everything be changed, which usually just meant playing everything faster.
2: <laughs> well, that's the thing. you got to make it faster, not, not too wimpy. It's got to be powerful. Mm-hmm. And Jello gave himself the job of deciding what was going to go on the record. Like he appointed himself that job pretty much. Yeah. So during the mixing process, like Oliver and Ray would work on the console mixing the tracks because Ray was hugely instrumental in the production of this album, of course. And then they would play out the, the, the song out in the speakers outside the co- console room and Jello would sit next to the speakers listening intently and then he would go up to them and be like, "Now." <laughs> do it again and <laughs> back to work also i wrote about four pages of notes based on this one track here you go <laughs> okay jello
3: yeah now because of all this back and forth jello and ray didn't agree on production credits then and still don't agree on them now so in order to just get the fucking record out all production credits were instead given to oliver DeChico's chico's cat Norm.
2: Norm. Norm. Norm the producer. <laughs> I know. It's it's adorable that uh, the cat has a human name Norm and the <laughs> owner has a cat name Oliver. It's adorable. It is. Well, Norm would help out. By napping on the mixing board, sometimes <laughs> it's warm. over the knobs. That's, that's where it's more. <laughs> yeah, you'd be like, you see where my right paw is? No, the other right paw. That's, <laughs> that's the equalizer. You're gonna want to use that, but use as little equalizer as possible because the equalizer tends to change the phase and makes the sound more fatiguing. <laughs> Actually, it's better to move m- the mic around before adding the equalizer. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, Norm. And Ray actually got credit uh, as a uh, production assistant mm. to Norm. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing about
3: Norm is that uh, both Jello and Ray said that, like, for years afterward, they would have people asking, hey, can we get Norm to produce our album? Because nobody <laughs> knew that it was just a fucking cat. And he'd he he's like, unfortunately, Norm passed away many years ago.
2: Yes, he died at the tender age of 11. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're going to need a new cat.
3: (laughs) And so on September 2nd, 1980, fresh fruit for rotting vegetables was released in the UK, which meant that it was technically only available in the United States as an import. This was, of course, both ironic and appropriate because fresh fruit was quite possibly the most scathing and acidic indictment of America ever recorded up to that point in the history of rock music in general, much less fucking punk. Flying in the face of good taste at every turn, Fresh Fruit is both terribly funny and uncomfortable, violent in its content, and immovable in its conviction. And it all comes together to somehow make you feel weird and angry and happy all at the same fucking time.
2: That is true.
3: (laughs) It is a cathartic record of the highest order. And even if you don't pay attention to a single goddamn bit of lyrical content, as is your want, the further achievement of this album is that it just plain fucking rocks.
4: enough I keep it. i gonna have I got to the I in, I to and, the and the rapid. I'm a rap it after drop the top of so the sadaday so i the one that die go the go 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 crazy, 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 so crazy. So crazy, 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 go 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 crazy Crazy Crazy
3: It's like a fucking post-apocalyptic Eddie Cochran.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking it. rocks so much. I know. It's it's about the Rocky Mountain Arsenal in Colorado.
3: <laughs> yeah, a real place. It, yeah. yeah.
2: Well, well. now it's like a nature preserve. But yeah. back then, the, you know, there was all kinds of chemical warfare. <laughs> uh, and he, Jello was like, wouldn't it be funny to steal all, all the nerve gas and drop it on the golf course nearby? <laughs> and then they did the choke scene, of course, with the Rocky Mountain Arsenal. Personal choir yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, with, with like Will Shatter and Dirk Dirksen was there. Yeah. It, it was all good fun. <laughs> but
3: of course, not everyone got the black humor when it came to the songs, and in particular, album opener "Kill the Poor" got some mixed reactions over the years.
4: You heard the sparkle of Thunder in sí, on the screen today. Give it so liberals, it's okay. So let's get wasted and so in the night. I kill, 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 the poor. Kill, 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 kill the poor. Kill, 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 kill the poor. Nah, ha 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 Kill, 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 kill the poor. Kill, 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 the poor. Kill, 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 kill the poor. Nah, ha.
2: while the band was rehearsing kill the poor they had to move out of ray's garage and rent a rehearsal space because (laughs) the neighbors would complain to the police (laughs) especially the kill kill
5: kill kill kill.
2: it tells I don't care if it takes all night we're gonna get this song right everyone together kill kill, 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 kill kill there's a knock on the door again let's move but yeah I mean it's obviously meant to be funny
3: it's all it's tongue in cheek of course
2: yes and that was something I don't know if we mentioned that when in the beginning of the first episode when we all laughed when we laughed we are like kill the four isn't that great and yeah. we didn't say that it's satire yeah
3: we didn't say that said no it's yeah it, it is 100% satire and it's fucking great it's great and it's. Relevant satire as well
2: Yeah Oh yeah Yeah. East Bay Ray He wrote the music Inspired by the Ramon song You know You're gonna kill that girl
3: Gonna kill (laughs) that (laughs) girl
2: Exactly And it's Yes It's an anti-nuclear song But with the point of view Of the military madmen You know From the pentagon that's what Jello says.
5: Yeah, of course. <laughs> yes,
2: yeah. a modern day version, some call it, of uh, Jonathan Swift's A Modest Proposal, which is like kind of the same idea. He, he wrote this thing called A Modest Proposal for Preventing the Children of Poor People in Ireland from Being a Burden to Their Parents or Country. <laughs> it's like, you can cook them. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> and Jello, he wrote the lyrics after reading like an interview that Devo did on an early issue of uh, Search and Destroy. And that was the one where they said, like, I think it's good that they got the neutron bomb now. (laughs) (laughs) Because if there's one big sin in America, it's destruction of property.
3: Exactly. (laughs) Well, that's what Devo was talking about. Because the neutron bomb, uh, the whole thing about the neutron bomb is that it kills every living thing where the bomb is dropped, but it doesn't destroy any property. It leaves everything standing and essentially turns any city where you drop it into a ghost town so kill the poor was let's drop the neutron bomb and kill let's bring all the poor people together drop the neutron bomb and we can take care of them once and for all
2: right exactly and then they they sat
3: in a satire way
2: (laughs) well they even talked about dr strange love like imagine like the the sequel to dr strange love when they're planning who is going to live where when they can finally come up to the surface because everything would be intact and it would obviously be a comedy.
5: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> of course it would be. And so Jello read this interview and his friend John Greenway said, wouldn't it freak people out real bad if you wrote a song called Kill the Poor? <laughs> and that's why, that's why we have Kill the Poor. That's
3: why we have it. Because of Devo.
2: <laughs> yes.
3: Yeah. Devo's fucking great. Their interview, if you can find their interview in Search and Destroy, like their early interviews are, are really fun. Like they're <laughs> yeah. a lot more manic than you'd expect from Devo. let say the least. Fresh Fruit is a dark fucking album, from Kill the Poor to Holiday in Cambodia to Chemical Warfare. But what makes the album fun is Jello's ability to inhabit the evil characters that populate these songs, particularly the serial killer in the provocatively titled track, I Kill Children.
4: Ever wanna die? Of course you have, but I won't till I get my revenge. I've been fucked by far too many ways, but I don't wanna see people anymore. Things I never, ever saw before, but you see them more the shit they are. They're glad if I get away with me. Anyone gonna me for a day. So I kill children. I let to see them eat and die. I kill children I them and make their mothers cry. I kill children and make me hissing doors.
2: That's always when my mom walks in. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Jello, he wrote that when he was 18. He said uh, he and his friends would like shout, you know, to people from cars and speed off because it was a fun prank and right. they would yell shit like, I kill children! <laughs> <laughs> Eat a dick! <laughs> I don't know. It's all it's teenage stuff.
3: Well, I mean, now it seems a little uh edgier than thou, Like, a little too edgy for its <laughs> own good. You know, I kill children, blah, blah, blah. But, this is you know it was written in 1977 1978 like serial killers were an everyday part of life and in that period of time you know you're talking about the days of Bundy the days of Gacy you know the days of more serial killers than I can fucking count you know and did you is, write a
2: book about that? I wrote a
3: book about you it. you wrote a whole book about it <laughs> <laughs> last book on the left on sale wherever books are sold <laughs> <laughs> well yeah I mean yes Son of Sam I mean there, there's so many so writing a song called I Kill Children at this period in time was very provocative and he was using dark humor in order to deal with all of this shit you know remember he was he went to school I mean albeit briefly but he went to school and uh Santa Cruz. You know, that was the home of Herbert Mullen. That was Ed Kemper. You know, he's in San Francisco. That was Zodiac Killer. That was the zebra killings. Like, there's a lot of fucking death.
2: <laughs> or is it So much death. Jello Biafra is just close, to, just somehow nearby all these serial killers. <laughs> I mean. I don't know if you know this, but John Vaney Ramsey's house was down the street yeah. from his family's house, and he was in town. It's, I'm not saying that he had anything to do with these murders, no. but it's just so weird that wherever he shows up, a serial killer is born.
3: <laughs> now, similarly, Biafra inhabits more cold-blooded sociopaths in the song Funland at the Beach, which tells the story of a theme park accident that results in dozens of quote-unquote crushed little kids, but the owner's main concern is naturally all the lawsuits to come. Other songs in the album are rewrites of old tracks, like When You Get Drafted, which we played on our first episode. Originally, it was back in Rhodesia, Rhodesia being a possible destination for a new Vietnam back in the late 70s, which was where you'd be sent when you got drafted.
5: Ah, yes.
3: Here's the original, live at the Deaf Club. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It's frightening. That's what's great about it. Man, you know how hard it is to be a terrifying guitarist? That's right. (laughs) He does it so well. However, speaking of Ray, not all the songs were written by Jello. Besides lyrics by 6025 on Forward to Death, East Bay Ray also contributed lyrics and music on the somewhat incongruous anti-drama anthem, Your Emotions. (laughs)
4: Mama goes to listen to dad goes back Oh, it's in like it's never do that You learns a man who feels the world, said that Witchery, really Israel, you're just a copycat Yeah, 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 School goes to lesson. the to church goes to that Memorize this until she can't walk a bat There are little seamstresses who take the door Trust to never go to mend the king of the boys You're so boring, boring, boring always take my recording You're so boring, boring, boring have heard all this before I'm anywhere But she's fresh from down the states everywhere Frank's to the game, my mind's just like you These guys always show it from talks to you It was all boring, boring, boring Always said that she was going It was so all boring, boring, boring I've heard all this before I've heard all this before I've heard all this before your emotion make you a monster Your emotion make you a monster Your emotion make you a monster
3: now, who can't relate to that?
2: Oh, nobody. <laughs> Everybody. Everybody. Everybody, Everybody yeah. can. Yeah, that's what Ray said. He said uh, he wrote the songs inspired by somebody who um, who found it, uh, who were difficult to deal with. Yeah. That was it. That, that, that's pretty much, there's really not a lot of layers to unpack. It was just like... I knew a person, they were difficult, their rational mind would disappear, and uh, what was left was uh, kind of what you'd call a monster. <laughs> like, your emotions make you a monster. That, yeah. that, that, that is all it is. Yeah,
3: of course. And I would imagine the San Francisco punk scene was filled with
2: quite a few of those people. <laughs> was as, it me, As any punk scene. Or was it him? Or was it me? Or no, it was you. I, I don't know who he wrote this about. <laughs> and
3: of course, the whole album ends with a Dead Kennedys trademark rewritten cover. Where the band took Elvis Presley's Viva Las Vegas and added lyrics about the realities of gambling your life away, while still, and that sounds like a bummer. But they, <laughs> it really does. It's like, oh, Jello's gonna fucking, oh, he's gonna preach to me about gambling. <laughs> it's more fun than the Elvis version.
4: Set my soul on fire Got a whole lot of money That's ready to burn So get those stakes up high There's a thousand pretty women Who win out there They're all waiting The devil may care And I'm just a devil with we were going
1: every time
0: and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars limited time only price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer single item at regular price
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
0: in a fast-paced world every day brings new challenges and new opportunities at Strayer University we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change for over 130 years We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.
3: Now as far as the sleeve for fresh fruit for rotten vegetables went, the Dead Kennedys chose to commemorate a very recent event in San Francisco history. If you'll remember from the last episode, city supervisor and gay activist Harvey Milk and San Francisco Mayor George Moscone have both been murdered in November of 1978 by a former cop and fireman named Dan White. The murder was senseless and premeditated in every way and was committed because Moscone had refused to return White's city supervisor job after White had suddenly resigned and Harvey Milk had fought against White's reinstatement.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There was like not just Harvey Milk. There was a couple people kind of being like, are you really? This Do guy kind of sucks. Like <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, th- that was the problem.
3: And if you want to know more about this story, you know, the whole saga of Harvey Milk, George Moscone and Dan White. Uh, check out the documentary, The Life and Times of Harvey Milk. It was put out in like 1984, which was what? six years after, after the
2: murder yeah pretty much after it happened
3: yeah and uh it's uh, fucking great it like won the oscar back in 1984 for best documentary and it really lays out this story in a beautiful tragic way
2: Yeah, get ready to be angry yeah, get
3: ready to fucking cry <laughs> <laughs> be angry and cry yeah <laughs> now because dan white was a former police officer and former fireman the sfpd and the fire department both formed ranks around him. They raised $100,000 for his defense. They arranged special meals while he was in jail, and they wore free Dan White t-shirts under their uniforms. Despite the fact that Dan White on that day took a load of gun to City Hall, opened up a window, crawled inside to avoid the metal detectors, went to George Moscone's office, shot him four times, went to Harvey Milk's office, shot him five times, and then went on the run. Still, the cops
2: stood behind him. Yeah, well, it's a good number of them. Yeah. We, we could say it, at the very least a very, very good number of them. It was very troubling. The jury convicted Dan White on voluntary manslaughter right. instead of first-degree murder. fucking first-degree premeditated Mur- murder, murder. <laughs> yes <laughs> the, the jury somehow bought the defense testimony that the murders happened when he lost touch with reality during some sort of depressive reaction to a high sugar junk food habit that the night before he had sat in front of the tv and eaten too many twinkies
3: <laughs> that's a hundred percent true it's a hundred percent true. That's where this is where this case is where the term the Twinkie defense comes from.
2: Right, because he ate too many Twinkies, he was out of his mind, and so he he wasn't rational enough, he wasn't sane enough to to realize what he was doing was wrong. Even though he brought a gun with extra bullets and went in through a basement window and uh, <laughs> shot one person, and then reloaded and shot another person, and the people around there were like almost sympathetic to Dan White a lot a lot of them were a good number of them were some of them were like well he must have had his reasons or or else he wouldn't have done it or or maybe he just felt like you know what all politicians are dirty yeah we understand it was it was a lot of that and 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 also one of the jurors even came out saying well we just didn't want to give the city a dirty a dirty name we were we were always heading toward the same general direction we always wanted to give him a lighter verdict anyway so they already decided this even before they heard any of the statements which is actually the opposite of what you're supposed to do when you're a jury yeah but uh this was the case i think a lot of people saw themselves in dan white for some reason and just figured like well he's a good man from a good family and he he wouldn't do anything like that
3: yeah he was the all-american boy and he was dan white was very white uh and he was let off with the most insanely light sentence because i mean just not even and I think this kind of gets lost in in, in the entire uh, in the entire saga is that yes he did kill Harvey Milk and that is a huge tragedy you know Harvey Milk was such an important character in the fight for gay rights he also killed the fucking mayor of San Francisco the
2: mayor of San Francisco he, <laughs> he a murdered a major city in America
3: <laughs> he murdered the mayor of a major American city and got off. With a sentence of three to five years. Yeah. Voluntary manslaughter. That is the power of being a fucking former police officer. And the city of San Francisco erupted upon the announcement of the
2: verdict. Yeah. When the verdict was read on May 21st, 1979. Thousands of protesters marched to City Hall. Well, you know, just first of all, they were just bringing candles and signs like, what if it were Dan Black? Yeah. And things like that. But then it got even more intense. And more people started throwing trash cans through the windows and and breaking up pretty much breaking apart City Hall. Every exterior of City Hall was trashed and broken apart. And then there were plenty of demonstrators who set fire to at least 16 squad cars. And several police scooters and the crowd just chanting where's Diane dump Diane take City Hall like they were so angry about everything because first of all when when these two people were murdered ev- there were 30,000 people joined in for a vigil and it was peaceful and it was harmonious and it was a, tra- a tragic though And then, when they figured, okay, we'll let justice do its job, it didn't. They got angry and they went out there. And of course, the police had to come in too to kind of bring down the intensity of the crowd. But a lot of the police in this riot gear uh, actually were part of the escalation too, just like hitting people left and right. Of course, protesters were throwing rocks. There is a lot of just messy fighting going on in between.
3: It's a fucking riot.
2: Yes, it, that is it literally it is a right.
3: It, it was. I mean, that's what it came to be. It came to be known as the White Knight Riot.
2: Yes. And the chaos, it, it was finally controlled, I think, like way past midnight that night when they finally got reinforcements. Uh, the police got reinforcements from the surrounding s- suburbs uh, by then. But it was still a lot of like, hey, a, a lot of people, a lot of demonstrators trying to keep the peace. A couple police officers as well. But the majority of them were not, especially going into the castle. And destroying gay owned bars and, and shops and assaulting gay people wherever they saw because it, it that's what a riot is. It's yeah. a lot of chaos and a lot a lot of awful people doing stupid shit like that.
3: Taking advantage.
2: Exactly. And, and and the whole irony of this, which I read, which is insane, is like, you know, when it comes to something like that, something insane like that, the only person who could have probably talked down a crowd to figure something out in a in a much more a clearer sense with a bullhorn was Harvey Milk. Yeah. Which is the, which is the saddest thing of the, of the whole thing. It
3: really is. No, Harvey Milk They was, needed him. They really <laughs> did. Like Harvey Milk was a, he was a leader in the community and George Moscone was a leader in the community as well. George Moscone was a very popular mayor uh, and he was a liberal mayor and of course after this that's when Diane Feinstein, and, and I discovered it's not Feinstein, it's Feinstein. Oh, it's uh, a, Frankenstein? <laughs> or Frankenstein? It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Yeah, Feinstein took over as mayor, and that was the decline of San Francisco. Uh, as a, a lot of the people who followed Harvey Milk, as they knew it, that was the end of it. And the reason why we're talking about this is because the cover to Fresh Fruit for rotting Vegetables is a black and white photo of a row of those police cars burning during the White Night Riots, and it's all under the name Dead Kennedys, printed in a sinister Old English typeface. It's a terrifying fucking cover. And besides that, the Dead Kennedys also commemorated the injustice of the damn white verdict in a single that covered I Fought the Law. And we are now happy to solve the mystery of who blew George and Harvey's brains out, and that George and Harvey were George Moscone and Harvey Milk.
4: Drinking beer in the hot sun I bought the lawn And Harvey's brains out with my son Up the lawn, up the lawn,
3: on Decades I've been wondering what the fuck he was talking about You had no idea I had no idea that It was, yeah, George Moscone and uh, and Harvey Milk uh, And it's, that actually that cover, I, I never really liked that cover that much Because it makes you feel weird It's yeah. fucking, like, it really, it makes you feel dumb It's dirty. (laughs) Uh, It's fucking, it's dirty. It's sleazy. It it just, it makes you feel weird, but in kind of a a bad way. I respect it. But, you know, now I kind of know it's like, oh, that's why I've never really liked it. Because the the character that Jello Biafra inhabits in that is a real person. You know, it's not like I kill children or Funland at the beach. Like, this is, he is inhabiting a real person that he has a very real, visceral hatred for. And it makes you feel fucking awful
2: Yeah, yeah, I remember I think The Clash also covered that song uh, I Fought the Law Of course, yeah, and,
3: that's one of The Clash's most famous covers Yeah,
2: and I re- I do remember someone Asking me many, many years ago Like, what's your favorite Clash song? You, you seem to be a big Clash fan And I said, I fought the law, because th- I thought they wrote it <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I learned I learned, yeah, but, yeah. you know And that person luckily was nice enough to just change the subject <laughs>
3: I'm not going to fault you for not knowing Bobby Fuller. (laughs) It's very much in line with The Clash. I didn't know Brand New Cadillac was a fucking cover until many years later. It's fine.
2: It's fine. It's fine. I was 15. (laughs) But I will will still think about that once in a while when I'm in the shower. Oh, no.
3: But even though the front cover to Fresh Fruit was foreboding to say the least, and a terrifying vision to behold, it was the back cover that got the band into trouble. As that ran afoul of a vocal group called Sounds of Sunshine. <laughs> They're fucking terrible.
2: We respect anyone who makes an effort to make... No, no you're right. This is terrible. I'm sorry. i, I just... I'm gonna, no.
5: Love means you never have to say sorry. Love means
3: yeah from a love story
5: yeah love means never
3: having to say you're sorry (laughs) i'm dying
2: (laughs) that song is just i mean it's fine it's you know it's not for me or for no, you, no. obviously. But it's <laughs> it's fine. They play their instruments well. Yeah,
3: Let's sure, say that. Sure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so they had a picture, the back cover of fresh fruit, for rotting vegetables. There is a picture, a, a photo of a six-piece band, five men in tuxedos and one woman in a long dress and heels with a, like a very big beehive hairdo. And those were the sounds of sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> The thing is, is, like, Dead Kennedys, they didn't really know about that. <laughs> <laughs> so they figured, oh, cool picture. Oh, Klaus founded a garage sale. This is great. Okay, awesome. Let's put uh, the, the DK logo on there and the skull and crossbones on the drum kit. Ah, perfect. Yeah. Looks beautiful. All right. So when Fresh Fruit finally came out and was reviewed at a small LA newspaper, they printed the photo, too. Because it seemed like the people that reviewed it thought it was the band. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, one of the band members of the sun, Sounds of Sunshine, uh, Warner Walder, apparently real name, <laughs> saw it and probably spat out his coffee while he was reading the paper. <laughs> and he's like, What's up with all these skulls? <laughs> well, wh- why am I on this? You know? <laughs> what is, I kill why, children.
3: Why am I Mr. Sparkle? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> so sounds of Silence, sunshine, sounds of sunshine. Yes, they. Uh, so sounds, sounds of sunshine. They don't have a good name. <laughs>
3: it's it's terror. It's horribly hard to say.
2: I'm gonna rename them SOS.
3: The SOS. Yeah. Uh,
2: they sued a million dollars or more, apparently, uh, saying like, hey, we're a Christian band. Our our picture is right above the song titles with the I kill children. Mm. Uh, so IRS ended up set- settling with SOS and paid about. Uh, and just promised to remove the the likeness from the record. Yeah. So it was like, okay, cool. So Cherry Red put out a new issue with the same photo, but without their heads. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, no, no, that's not good enough either. Yeah. All right, okay. So there was another version where they just had... a. Instead of the photo, it just said TBA.
5: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. Okay. Cool. And yeah. then the, lastly, the, the the one with the elderly uh, women just sitting on a on a couch. Yeah. And so uh, there's actually they actually put the photo back much later though because yeah. they're like you know sounds of sunshine they're, are they going to sue again?
3: <laughs> are they really going to hear about this? <laughs> well, I, actually, yeah. The version that we have we have the headless version yeah. in our collection. But even though that part of the artwork was eventually changed, Fresh Fruit was also the beginning of the Dead Kennedys' long collaboration with artist Winston Smith, who, for this album, created the famous Dead Kennedys logo, amongst other contributions.
2: Oh yeah, Winston Smith. I mean, not his real name. No. He took that from uh, George Orwell's 1984. So Winston Smith, he came to San Francisco in 1976 after spending seven years in Italy stud- studying classical art. <laughs> Little did he know what light ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so when he went to San Francisco, he noticed like this whole punk movement thing around him and the posters and the flyers just tacked up everywhere of these punk bands that, th- that people would put up to promote their shows. So he thought, like, oh, this is great. This is like kind of like data artwork from World War One. It's a lot of cut and paste, a lot of collaging. So he's like, okay, I'm gonna do that too. I, you know, he doesn't have any punk bands or any shows to promote, so he just make them up. Yeah, he's just an artist. Yeah, yeah, he made he made up a whole bunch of bands. I I love these names. Uh, Lenny and the Spitwats. <laughs> PTA and the Dipshits, the Infidels, the Twits, the Cooties, the Rejects with an X, or Idiot Child.
3: Idiot Child's wonderful.
2: Yes. And then he would make up the name of the venue, performing live at Nicos, <laughs> And with a fake address, too. And say, Friday. And so sometimes people would go and try to see Idiot Child play. <laughs> and they're like, it doesn't exist.
3: Oh, I get it. Oh, man. Oh, man.
2: So then Winston, he heard from a mutual friend, hey, I think you and my friend Jello would really hit it off really well so Winston listened to the California Uber Alice single he's like oh this is really good so he sent Jello a postcard of a picture of the Zapruder film so Jello wrote him back saying let's meet at a- after a show and talk <laughs> <laughs> so Winston and the band they went out for hamburgers and he showed them some of his artwork including like this crucifix of dollars with Jesus on it called Idol that represented all the Jerry Falwell's and other religious authorities who hypocritically make a lot of money off their followers yeah,
3: it's a great piece of art.
2: Yeah, and Jello's like, "This is great. I want this on the cover of our next record." Uh, right now, we're making our first record, but now we have we have to make a second one. <laughs> this that's how good it is. <laughs> and then Jello asked Winston to make a logo for the band. You know, something simple but unforgettable. He said like he he said sort of kind of like a swastika, but obviously the opposite of that. <laughs> but instantly
3: recognizable
2: exactly exactly so Winston spent all night drinking a bottle of red wine and drawing like lines and circles and triangles and he just couldn't come up with anything and then eventually he lined up a bunch of toothpicks together and he was able to do it with just a few toothpicks you know two lines and an X really and it's it's dk it spells dk and so what he would do is that he just drew the black lines uh, where the toothpicks were and then he used the bottom of, of his bottle of wine that he already finished hmm. uh, and and just like drew the circle and it just made it red so it was black and red which is perfect colors oh
3: yeah it, it, i mean the thing is about a like a good punk band logo it's like if a kid can draw it on his notebook in five seconds that's a good fucking logo right there,
2: and that's what it was. <laughs> it just took all night and a bottle of white. Yeah, and Winston and Jello—they've been friends forever. Like they collaborated on the collage art uh, that you know, that double-sided poster that came with the with the album. Uh, that's where the whole "What if crass was funny" thing, because mm-hmm. Crass had a couple albums with a lot of collage work on it. But they're like, "But let's make it funnier."
3: Yeah, and it's very—it is very funny. Yeah, no, Winston Smith was funny as hell.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, no. He he tapped into the right kind of uh, uh, style that Jelly Biafra was into, and and, and that's why Jelly Biafra also asked him like, "Hey, we need uh, our logo for al- Alternative Tentacles. You know, the one with the bat." Mm-hmm. And so, like, Winston, uh, Winston did it. He he made the whole thing himself, and he handed it to them while they're in the middle of recording Fresh Fruit. <laughs> <laughs> and the one thing he said about that, I swear to God, he said this: "I met Norm." <laughs> the producer. <laughs> uh, oh, okay.
3: Yeah, Winston Smith was great. He was uh, San Francisco's uh, version of Arturo Vega. Yeah. You know, just a, a guy that wandered into the scene and ended up becoming a hugely important part of it. But as it almost always goes with bands like Dead Kennedy's, such a great album also came with a huge backlash. For starters, punks felt that Jello was telling them what to do and his many political proclamations were just turning him into another authority figure, which, for some people, punk was supposed to be the antithesis of that. No authority figures. Anarchy. From the musical side of things, though, punk fans in San Francisco and beyond blamed Fresh Fruit for hardcore punk, which quite a few people in the scene hated because it could be aggressive for the sake of being aggressive, and ultimately, some consider hardcore just plain fucking boring.
2: Sam, Marcus,
3: <laughs> not gonna get into it. We're not gonna get into it
2: because I actually thought this very well, that, the, very the, the, thoroughly. The, the. I thought about this because you know, I, I hardcore is my favorite genre on two topics, yeah. and it, it and you know I how much I. But you know what? We can get into it another time.
3: We can. We I mean I can understand both these criticisms. You know, like it would be hard to argue against Jello Biafra being preachy and yeah you know yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's really hard to say no he's not <laughs> no he is he, he absolutely is it's whether you mind that or not or whether you take it like someone could be pre- like I'm not going to take Jello Biafra being preachy personally like I'm <laughs> not going to say it's like oh he's telling me I'm th- no it's what he thinks and if I, I can decide whether or not I fucking agree with it and, you know, as far as the other criticism goes, you know, if I want a subgenre that's basically variations on a theme, I mean, I'm going for black metal. That's my, that is mine. All you right. know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, I, because, you know, hardcore, it's, it's variations on a theme. It's really <laughs> fast. I mean, you know, talking really fast, it's, it's variations on a theme. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it just depends on which variation on a theme you like. Mine, that's true. I, and mine's black metal. That's true. But regardless. Once the album was released, the Dead Kennedys went on a tour of England, fulfilling their end of the bargain because fresh fruit had basically been commissioned so the Dead Kennedys had something to tour on in the UK, as you said earlier.
2: Yeah, so when they came out to England uh, to to do their shows... uh, the Punks that came out to see the band were all, you know, obviously dressed up in leather studded jackets, bondage pants, dyed hair, mohawks, all that kind of stuff. And then they see the lights go on, and there's just four regular guys, <laughs> just like like Weezer. It's, just, it's Weezer. It's Radiohead standing over there, and they're just like, uh, "These are the these are the guys."
3: These are the Dead Kennedys. These are the most like brutal, insane punk band to put out an album yet, yes. and they're just dudes.
2: But then when they start playing their music, everyone's like, all right, let's unload the gobbing. <laughs> because that's the thing. They were huge in England. They were huge in the UK, of course. I mean, they were very popular. So the, the shows were packed and it's sweaty and full of raw energy. And the British kids actually learned all about stage diving. Some credit Jello for uh, bringing uh, stage diving and making it popular in England.
3: Hmm, that's nice.
2: Yes. Yeah, so the kids loved it. The security hated it. <laughs> Although at the first show in Scarborough, someone stole Klaus's glasses. Man,
3: fucking British punks, man.
2: They, the- <laughs> they had to make an announcement. The Dead Kennedys aren't coming out to their encore until Klaus gets his glasses back. <laughs> Come on, kids, let the man see. <laughs> and Give it,
3: the man his glasses. Man can't play bass without his glasses.
2: I know. It's like just tap the person behind you and ask if he has the glasses and so on and so forth. <laughs> and after 15 minutes of that, uh, he finally got his glasses and they finally got to do the encore. But by then, everyone was tired. <laughs> But but I mean so like it wasn't too There was not too much drama Although at at the show that they They were supposed to do in Dundee, Scotland That was cancelled by the local council Because they were afraid of Alienating their twin city Alexandria, Alexandria, Virginia
3: The council again What is it with (laughs) these councils?
2: And so they banned all the members for life (laughs) For life can't step in Dundee, Scotland Wow Wow,
3: that's fucking that is a bit harsh.
2: <laughs> yes. That,
3: <laughs> just because they have a tasteless band name.
2: <laughs> they also got canceled at the Lyceum and they had to move met- venues at the last minute in Sheffield. They were billed as Dead Kennedy's D.E.D. dead uh, as I a kind of a compromise, I guess, with the city council there.
3: I don't know why that's better. <laughs> <laughs> it just makes it look like look like the poster's misspelled. As you- long
2: as everyone's unhappy with a compromise, <laughs> they're gonna move forward with it.
3: Very true. Very true. <laughs>
2: Or the one the show they did in Edinburgh. Nothing crazy happened, but I just thought it was hilarious that Gary Newman was playing in the other room in the same venue.
3: Oh my god, I would've had such a hard time choosing which one to go to.
2: Here in my car, I feel <laughs> safe and simple.
3: Gary New don't Gary Newman's much more than just cars.
2: <laughs> <laughs> then I don't know Gary Newman at you all. You
3: don't. That we've had this conversation where I gotta I gotta like make you a Gary Newman mix. We gotta sit down and listen to films. Okay. Two way army. Oh my god, there's so much great. Chit.
2: you know what it is i always got gary newman and gary glitter mixed up the so two very
3: w- different people
2: i know <laughs> and so when someone's saying you got to listen to gary newman i'd be like i don't
3: know that, not, not, not. This is, it there's a bit no no no, no. gary <laughs> newman and gary then gary glitter are it's wildly different music wildly different people gary <laughs> newman's fucking sick he's great even his new stuff's pretty good
2: now I'm going to remember. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> and then the Dead Kennedys, they did a show in Liverpool, and that was when the band was playing California Uber Alice, and they were really rocking out. Everyone was loving it. And then one guy decided to give the Nazi salute because he knew the lyrics were funny and meant to be ironic, so he gave the Nazi salute he during just, the song.
3: He decided to join in on the irony. I can be ironic, too. Look at me.
2: Exactly. But then another guy saw that and decided to do the Sig Hale thing, too. And then pretty soon the whole audience was doing it during the chorus. <laughs> <laughs> and so, obviously, like it, there was like a quick silence, and Jello goes on the mic, and he's like, "What are you people doing?
3: <laughs> That's not what this is about." No, 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 no. Let's all sit down. We're gonna have a bit of a chat here. And... They
2: did. <laughs> Five minutes. <laughs> Stop the show halfway through to explain that this is not what this is about.
3: Yeah, he didn't know that it was a joke.
2: It, yeah, exactly. He didn't realize that uh, they were uh, quote unquote taking a piss. Yes. <laughs> <See>?
3: <laughs> <laughs> but even though, you know, the British, they weren't confused about California Uber Alice. There were a lot of dumbass Nazis that were confused about California Uber Alice. So to take care of it once and for all, The band recorded and released the sublime and still relevant Nazi punks Fuck Off, which also addressed some of the more outwardly violent dickheads in the hardcore scene.
4: Do so you hate the cops? Then ain't a gun. Not the punks, not the punks, not the punks, fuck off. Not the punks, not the punks, not the punks, fuck off. Can't catch a what a man. They fight each other, the police state wins. Stop your backs and you trash our holes. Trash your bank if you got real balls. There's nothing fun to do. so cool for real life. It's a new school like college freshmen.
2: Did you just play that whole song?
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I, I mean, was...
2: You could only play the whole song, right?
3: That's a, well, that's uh, what I was going to say, is that now that we're kind of getting into hardcore, we can just play the whole fucking song. <laughs> it's really just can. a minute long.
2: Oh, man, we're <laughs> done ready right in time for dinner. But yeah, that's the thing. The more and more you know, quote unquote jocks started going to dead Kennedy's shows and it would get more testosterone filled. You could say like Jello saw that a lot of people were leaving the punk underground scene because of these jocks who would come to the show and like kind of ruin it for everybody. Like some of them would jump off the stage to punch, punch people in the back of the head just for fun, just for the sake of violence and Jello Biafra said he kept seeing this over and over again and so that's why he decided to write Nazi punks fuck off and he wrote it like all in one like it took him less than 30 minutes (laughs) he he had a lot to say about that (laughs) and then after they played it for the first time like so many people were cheering they're like thank you gosh like uh, other people are ruining this thing for us This, thank you except for one guy who wanted to fight the band. Yes, this guy wearing a swastika on his shirt that said, white power on the front. (sighs) And on the back, I can't even repeat it. I
3: don't want you to.
2: (laughs) And he started arguing with the band. He jumped on stage and everything. And so that's the thing. Some fans would show up with swastikas to their shows. One guy wore a full SS uniform to a show. Just a just a beat up Jello Biafra or something like Jesus. yeah exactly and, and and Jello did say that he found out that that guy committed suicide when his wife left him and some of his friends uh, blamed him Ugh. Uh, it blamed the band or the song I I don't know like he did say he did mention like a lot of instances like he's like I got stabbed at on um, Broadway yeah uh, someone set off dynamite in front of my house. Uh, I was always on the verge of a nervous breakdown. There was lots of violence uh, directly towards me because I said this. It, I mean, it's like, wow, that I can't believe that's a controversial topic.
3: <laughs> it's still, Nazis are fucking so sensitive.
2: Well, what I mean, happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the thing. Like, when hardcore was emerging, uh, it was breaking off into different little, uh, obviously, like, areas, right? Of course, yeah. And so it's a
3: subject there are so many subgenres within the subgenre of hardcore.
2: Exactly. And so it- you know, the whole Nazi skinhead thing did show up around the mid eighties. Yeah, so uh,
3: screwdriver and all those stupid fucking bands.
2: Exactly. So it, it started turning into like uh, it, like it's like that thing where you get like a group of friends together and be like, Let's play dodgeball and then go out for drinks afterwards And then a few months later some bigger guys show up and then the <laughs> next thing you know, they're like, You idiot Carolina, you can't even hold the ball right and I'm just like I just wanted to get drunk with my friend Sometimes Every time, yeah. Nazis. I'm not saying there were Nazis on our team, but a lot of times this is what happens. This is what ruins uh, a really fun scene.
3: Of course. No, it's, that's what we, we've said before. Every time the Nazis show up, it's fucking over. Nazis ruin everything.
2: They ruin everything.
3: When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even
4: negotiate? Luckily, a Remax agent has answers.
0: Hey, Brian. Those are really good questions
4: they are? Thanks. It's my first time
3: buying.
0: I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you.
4: REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Filet-O-Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.
0: And if you love the Filet-O-Fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
3: But once the Dead Kennedys return to the U.S., Bruce Schlesinger, a.k.a. Ted. Schlesinger, Schlesinger.
2: I I don't know, it's going to be my password now (laughs) (laughs) No, not anymore
3: Well, Ted decided to give up playing drums with the dead Kennedys to focus on a career in fucking architecture
2: Yeah, I mean, he had a degree
3: Yeah, he just returned to what he was doing before.
2: Yeah, exactly (laughs) Well, and there's stories about Ted leaving, right? Like, Klaus and Ray said that Ted left because Jello gave Klaus and Ray an ultimatum Like, it's either him or me uh, but Jello said we all asked him to leave uh, because of musical differences. Mm. But others said Ted just quit. He was sick of dealing with Jello. <laughs> <laughs> he was sick of dealing. Uh, he call- he's a handful. Yeah, he, he's a handful. <laughs> so it, it was a. I guess it was a very, very mutual. Yeah. I guess at, at that point. At that point. But you know, he did. You know, yes, he did go back to architecture. He d- he did play drums once in a while. He actually ran into uh, East Bay Ray like a few years ago, and they're like, hey oh they're like at a show and they're like do you want to play a song and they did so <laughs> they had awesome. a little mini reunion
3: that's just, it's just so insane how like for for Bruce Schlesinger uh, playing drums for the Dead Kennedys on Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables was a lark yeah. Like, that's what he did for a couple of years.
2: I know. He sounds so interesting. You know what I mean? Like, like he just speaks, like, five languages. He has a perfect wife and three kids. And, and oh, yeah, yeah. I was in a, I drummed for the Dead Kennedys for two years. That's, like, about, like, the 12th most interesting thing about me. Really. Have you tried this guava I made myself? It's pretty good. It's from Colombia.
3: But this is not the tragedy one might expect when an original band member leaves. Instead... Ted was replaced by a fantastic drummer and fellow San Francisco scene by the name of D.H. Peligro. D.H. Peligro had grown up in St. Louis, Missouri, in the black neighborhood of Elmwood, surviving on food stamps amidst a family of alcoholics. However, he did have some positive family influences, specifically his uncle Sam Carr, who had a long career playing drums in a blues band called the Jelly Roll Kings, and they're fucking great. This is a song. This is they actually had like a minor hit in nineteen sixty-six back when Sam Carr was back in the lead singer and he was just going by Frank Frost.
4: My I don't
3: solid fucking blues but it's mm. got its own flavor you know now DH started off wanting to play guitar trying to emulate Jimi Hendrix But because his mother couldn't actually afford to buy him a guitar, she bought him a toy guitar instead. It
5: was the best
3: she could do. Yeah. However, D.H. realized that drumming was a much better outlet for his emotions, so he decided to follow in his uncle's footsteps. But when D.H. got to be of high school age, he and his siblings were bused to a predominantly white school in order to fill the 3 to 5% quota that was needed to integrate the white school district. This is, you know, this is the 70s. And once D.H. got to the white school, he made friends and started listening to the hard rock that those kids were listening to, like Kiss, Alice Cooper, Blue Oyster Cult, and his favorite, Deep Purple. fat tires and everything. <laughs> what does that mean? It's the, it's the car. You know, he's talking about how fucking awesome his car is. He's a highway star in his car. It's got big fat tires and everything. Oh, I so want it.
2: I need it. Literally a car. A car. Ah, all right.
3: <laughs> but perhaps the most influential of the music that D.H. heard was as it goes through this whole fucking generation, Raw Power by the Stooges, which he luckily got for washing his neighbor's car. And so, armed with musical knowledge, D.H. headed for San Francisco.
2: Yeah, he heard from a friend um, about San Francisco. He's like, "The scene here is incredibly free. Do you want to <laughs> do drugs and have sex? It's it's all available there." <laughs> so he did move in there, and he did indulge in a lot of drugs, like pot, cocaine, LSD, and working whatever jobs he could take while living out of his van because he was homeless.
3: Yeah, he He's, just went. To, he just drove from fucking St. Louis to San Francisco to see what would happen.
2: And then soon he joined a punk band called SSI, like Supplemental Security Income, you know, Government Assistance for the Mentally Ill. And he's like, yeah, we're mentally ill. It's great. (laughs) And that's when he first heard about the Ramones, and he first heard the Ramones music, and he's like, oh, that music is perfect. Yeah, that's it. I love this. Yes. So SSI played at all the local venues, like the Mabuai, where they opened for the Dead Kennedys, actually, a couple times. So they met East Bay Ray and Klaus earlier. And then later, after SSI broke up, DH, he got a job in construction installing bondage beds at an S&M hotel. Because everyone, there's one person for that job. And he's the man for it.
3: Man, it's so crazy how many people in the punk scene were also involved in the S&M bondage scene. Like, you know, Poison Ivy was a dominatrix. Uh, fucking, you know, Nancy Spungen was a dominatrix. And of course, you got, you know, DH Poligro installing bondage beds
2: yes uh, leather stirrups and straps into the bed he's like trying to hammer that in (laughs) while he's listening to the remotes (laughs) it's great it's great and then he soon joined another band called speed boys when he ran into east bay ray at the mabuhai and ray asked him to audition for the dead kennedys since they were looking for a new drummer Now, D.H., he knew they were a really big deal, obviously, but he wanted to stay loyal to his his band, the Speed Boys. So he's like, I don't know. I'll think about auditioning. Plus, am I really going to get it? Come on, it's Dead Kennedys. Mm -hmm. But after installing his hundredth bondage bed (laughs) and one of the leather restraints just like breaks off from the wall and he cuts his finger. He just looks at his finger. He's like, fuck it. I'm going to try out for Dead Kennedys. (laughs) like that was his breaking moment <laughs> so Dead oh sorry so dh he auditioned and and it was between him and one other guy it was uh, one of uh, jello's friends from colorado so it was between the two of them so so they both had to audition again and when dh played uh insight one of the dead kennedy songs of course it's wonderful yeah. wonderful wonderful song <laughs> From that song, it was clear that D.H. Was, was the right guy. He had the right rhythm, he had the right energy, and it, he was just a shoo-in, he, and he knew it.
3: Yeah. So with D.H. in the band, the Dead Kennedys wasted no time in going back into the studio, recording the first single with explicit language in the title to break the top 40 in the UK. Too drunk to fuck. <laughs>
4: To run, so too drunk, too fun i do too drunk, too drunk, too drunk, too so fun I like the stories I love the gun Shootin' after tries I love the world of fun Right in my room Wish you were dead
2: You know, Jello called it our universal pop song we figured everyone can relate to. (laughs) It's there I want to hold your hand.
3: But... Too Drunk was the Kennedys' last release with Cherry Red, because Cherry Red had denied the release of a compilation album of punk bands who had not yet gotten the recognition and success of the Dead Kennedys that Jello had put together. Eventually, Jello would resurrect the Alternative Tentacles label to release the compilation, called Let Them Eat Jelly Beans, which featured such early 80s punk luminaries as DOA, Circle Jerks, Subhumans, Black Flag and bad brains. (laughs) And following that release Alternative Tentacles established themselves As a label to be reckoned with One of my favorites Putting out singles and albums Ranging from butthole surfers To the criminally underrated Canadian band No Means No They picked up that record in toronto at sonic boom records which oh yeah? is a fucking amazing record store if you're ever in the toronto area but toronto surprisingly is the best record store town in north america
5: oh wow at
3: least in High my praise. in my humble opinion <laughs> if you want the best fucking record, i always get the best shit in toronto but back in 1981 alternative tentacles was still in its infancy and its main purpose was still to release Dead Kennedy's singles, albums, and EPs, including their much more hardcore follow-up to Fresh Fruit, and God We Trust, Inc.
4: Yeah! <laughs> A going a thing in the It's a keep, keep on pushing, man! i keep on pushing, <laughs> man! i to keep on Now I gotta be feeling oh, heavy! Get quiet, get it up no more! I can't sleep, but it's so the crazy! Shake all day I'm ah, keep uh, up, and see you, Keep on pushing, man! keep on pushing, man! I'm to keep <inaudible> in on that's some hardcore right there.
2: Yes. Actually, Jello brought this, uh, this song to rehearsal the first time he met Ray. No shit. Yeah. So that song been around forever. It was uh, Keep On Kids, though. Yeah. And then they'd uh, switch it around, of course. And then when they got to In God We Trust, Inc., they're like... We got a perfect song.
3: Just pop it down there. Yeah, just <laughs> pop it in there.
2: And I think with that album, that's the first time Ray gets producer's credit before Norm the Cat.
3: Oh, very nice. Yes,
2: it's Ray then Norm, which is that was very nice. <laughs> <laughs> so the Dead Kennedys they recorded uh, their eight songs for like as a as an EP. Mm-hmm. It's in the middle. Yeah, it's a me- it's a medium.
3: <laughs> yeah, 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 medium release. Yeah.
2: Yes. Uh, they recorded that June nineteenth, nineteen eighty one, at Subterranean Studios. That was at the uh, Target Studio Building, and they were also filmed while they recorded their EP, which is good because those recordings were lost for a while. Yeah. Yeah. You see, the tape that they recorded on was defective, so when they took it to to mix the tracks, it began to deteriorate oh. right in front of them. Jesus. <laughs> the, the tape wouldn't hold up to the mixing process. They had to go in and record again in August at Mobius Music. Which is what you hear on In God We Trust. Nice. But with The Lost Tapes, though, uh, their, their first recording, the, the, the one in June, uh, the one at the Subterranean Studios, you can actually find on on YouTube, uh, they, they sold a DVD for that like 15 years ago. It's called The Lost Tapes. It's really good.
3: Yeah, this is pretty sweet.
2: Yeah, I've seen it like three times this week. <laughs> all of it.
3: But even though a lot of the EP was straight hardcore, Dead Kennedys also tried something new, rewriting California Uber Alice." as a swingy jazz number called We Got a Bigger Problem Now, which rightfully replaced Jerry Brown with the new boogeyman, Ronald Reagan.
2: He makes better masks anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Emperor Ronald Reagan
4: Born again with fascist cravings Still you make a president Human rights will soon go away I'm now going, child's name And I'll make sure they're Christian too. California, Uber Alice. California, Uber Alice. Uber Alice. California, Uber Alice. California. Shama, shabba shabba do I? Yeah! 'Cause will control you. Alexander Hague is near Vietnam will come back You mm-hmm. stay Trump the army And you will pay Trump the army And you will pay California Over Alice California Over Alice Over Alice California Over Alice
3: so fucking satisfying when that kicks in. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Cuz you get you listen to it you're like, "Okay, yeah, this is cute. You know, like the jazzy thing, this is fun." And then when it fucking hits you right in the fucking throat, like, "Ah, yeah, I love being hit in the throat."
2: Yeah, it ruins mom's dinner. <laughs> <laughs> it's
3: great. So, having helped redefine the genre of punk with an album and an EP, The Dead Kennedys were ready to go even darker on their next album which is where we'll pick back up for the conclusion of the series.
2: Oh gosh, With, really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Plastic surgery disasters, Frankenstein Christ, and Tipper Goddamn Gore <laughs> are all coming next week. <laughs>
2: tipper 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 that's our new safe word tipper tipper, tipper 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 tipper
3: tipper tipper tipper
2: tipper. we keep making fun of them because of the over over winfrey <laughs> v- video and everything and, and how jello offers is talking i understand i i get he's got to make his points and mm-hmm. then there's like but tipper 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 you
3: tipper. <laughs> tipper tipper tipper
2: tipper tipper <laughs> we're already annoying and it hasn't the part four hasn't even started yet, have you
3: started it yet? well thanks everybody uh for listening i guess one thing that we got to talk about is we do have a new release schedule
2: yes because the last one that we said uh, last week was like how about thursday through friday but then that just sounds so stupid (laughs) it didn't at the time
3: well it sounded stupid and then it it didn't really work you know like because we've been trying as hard as we can to get the show out uh, every single week and you know and you know, and sometimes in order to kind of give us more time you know we've been recording uh, episodes that were you know not necessarily a part of what we were trying to do here uh, and that ended up taking usually just as much time as a regular episode did uh, and so in order to give you guys the best absolute show possible and so you know when the show's coming out uh, we're going to go bi-weekly. Yeah. Uh and we're going to do every other Thursday just so you got just so you guys know it's like you know exactly when the show is coming out, you know, every single time. And we want to give the show uh the attention and care that, you know, this music deserves. You know, we don't want to just be talking shit here. We want to know exactly what we're talking about and the the history of, you know, punk music and the history of just music in general. It's very messy. It yeah. takes it takes a lot to get through, and specifically, like it, Carolina, you guys have no fucking clue how hard she works on mm. this show.
2: <laughs> well, well, I have worked through the weekend for the last four weekends. No, you've been... And you I missed our vacation, <laughs> except for those two days.
3: Yeah, yeah. You're you're she's she's working. You know, at at the very least, six and a half days a week. Uh, and you know, I, I, I want my wife. To live a life.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Well, yeah. it's it's not just about having the time. We, we do need the time, but it's also about like uh, letting all all those like things that we're learning and, and reading and listening to like kind of just like developing the mind. Like just putting them away in filing cabinets because it doesn't work when I haven't slept for days and we're talking, <laughs> and and I'm like it's too hot in here. It doesn't work for the both of us. So you we know. we need we need time to breathe, time to think about it, and and time to. Uh, just enjoy the sh- the show.
3: Yeah, we yeah we need to have fun doing this. You know, and if it's a weekly grind. Uh, where we're, you know, killing ourselves, and specifically Carolina's killing herself every single week to get this shit out, then, you know, then it's it's going to show through. And we we want to have fun uh, just as much as y'all want to have fun listening to it. So, yeah, we're going to be going bi-weekly f- uh, from now on. Uh, thank y'all for understanding. Uh, we, we really appreciate it. We appreciate yeah. all the people that have uh, sent us email. We've been getting so many sweet emails from people, like just got one from uh, someone saying that, you know, they'd never... Uh, heard really heard punk music before now. they'd kind of heard names but had never really gotten into it. And now they're discovering like, oh this is my genre. Oh, like cool. this is the yeah. music that I've been looking for my you know my entire life. Uh, and you know and so we that, that makes us really happy. To get emails like that. Yeah, thank yeah.
2: you. Oh, yeah, you, you can send those emails if you want to keep saying really nice <laughs> things all the time. At no, no dogs in space at gmail.com, also the same place where you can submit your music. If you're in a band or you're just a guy or a, or a girl who just makes music and, and from your room and, and, and you record it and you want to send it to us, we'd love to play it uh, at the end of every show.
3: We absolutely do. And this week's band is Fiends in Human Shape out of Provo Utah of all fucking places. Wow. Kudos to you guys for fucking surviving Pro- Provo. Uh but it's off of their EP Lodies. Uh they don't get they're not on Spotify, but they've got uh an EP available over on uh Bandcamp. It's fucking great. The reason why we are spotlighting Fiends in Human Shape on this episode is because they have a variation on uh, Nazi Punk's fuck off. It is Nazi Punk's can't fuck. it's fucking great I Uh, like it clever (laughs) I I like it and even if it wasn't you know a great message it'd still be a great fucking song so here is Nazi Punks Can't fuck by Fiends in Human Shape go check out their band camp and support this band uh, just as you know you should be supporting all local bands out there that are struggling uh, during this uh, stupid fucking time in human history so we'll see y'all in two weeks Thank you very much for listening, and uh, I don't know, I I'd rock on. That, uh, it sounds it, awful. Uh, gravy
2: gravy. <laughs> Wavy the gravy. Keep the classics turning. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Goodbye.
2: Goodbye.
0: When booking with other vacation rental apps, sounds like this.
5: This place doesn't look like the
4: pictures. Ah, is there a door behind all those spiders?
0: It's time to try one
5: that sounds more like a vacation.
4: Ah, this is perfect.
5: Relax, you booked a Verbo.